This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis 19. We've made it all the way to Genesis 19 this morning. Very difficult chapter of the book of Genesis. Not a difficult chapter to understand, although the enemy would have you think it is pretty straightforward what's going on. In fact, the name of the town that is being dealt with here is the pseudonym for the thing that caused it to be destroyed. And just straight up, that's what it means. And it's not hard to it's not hard to figure out what's going on, what the issue is, and uh, and to see how God is dealing with it. It says in verse nineteen, chapter chapter nineteen, verse one, that now the two angels these remember three angels went were coming by to meet Lot. The two angels who were not the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord being Jesus, the two angels that were with him. Most scholars think they were archangels. They think they're Michael and Gabriel, but they could have been, they could have been a multitude of angels, angels that have no name. And these angels have no name. And remember, anytime you have two, two, the number two, that always represents the Holy Spirit. So they're going in the full power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they also, that also represent, that also represents a faithful witness. So there's, they're not just going as one, there's two of them, and they're going to be a faithful witness to what is happening. They're going to, they're going to actually deal with the uh, situation inside them and they're going to, they're going to handle what's going on there. It says, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, it says, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Notice. Lot is uh, is someone of importance there. He is sitting at the gates. The elders of the city or the town of or the rulers of the city would sit at the gate. That's more to to make sure that they didn't allow in someone into the city that might destroy the city or might take the city out. And is a man of faith. He's a man who knows God. He's walked with Abraham. He's 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 been a part of the promises of God. He decided when God spoke to Abraham that he'd go with him. Now, God didn't tell Abraham to take Lot with him, but Lot wanted to go, and Abraham did not keep his nephew from going. He is a a man of respect. He is he's someone of great importance. And when you're reading the story, you need to understand that Lot plays a pivotal role in this. He's a pivotal role because he's the only mediator there between God just showing up and destroying Sodom. He's the only he's the only reason why God didn't just immediately destroy Sodom. It says it says here that Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, notice Lot is going to do all the things that are a hallmark in the Old Testament of a person of faith and a person who understands what it means to worship God. He is going to he's going to do the things of faith. Now, a lot of people as they uh, read this passage, they want to uh they want to say 
that Sodom's problem was they were unhospitable to guests and to travelers. And that's why God destroyed Sodom. The problem is that they were, there are many places throughout the world and throughout this part of the world who were unhospitable to travelers, who were not good to people. They were uh, terrible, terrible to people, and and they were an awful place to go to. That's not what's going on here, and it's quite clear the Scripture identifies what it is. Oftentimes, when you hear people say things about why uh, what the Bible says, they always do exactly what the enemy did in the book of Genesis when he, uh, when he uh, was speaking to Eve at the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. He says, did God really say that? And the enemy does that all the time, constantly. He is always asking you, he's always questioning whether God said something. Here's the thing. We know what God said. We've got it. We've got it. It's in Scripture. We've got the Bible. We know what God said. And when the devil says, did God really say that? The answer for your heart needs to be, I'll look it up and make sure. And when you look it up and make sure, you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord, as David did many times. He would take that ephod, which is a picture of the priesthood. He'd put it on, and he'd strengthen himself in the Lord, and he would stand in the Lord. And, and when that was going on, you need to do that also. It says he was sitting at the gate of Sodom, and when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself, his face toward the ground. Notice he is being reverent, he is being worshipful, he is being he's being receiving and accepting of these angels. He's not worshiping them, but he is bowing to them. And that is a common practice of, of a greeting at that time. Notice if the reason the angels were going there to destroy the city was was because the city was inhospitable to its guests. They met a lot at the gate, and he was absolutely, completely hospitable to them. And that would have turned them back if it was just if it just had to do with whether or not there was hospitality involved. If hospitality or inhospitality was involved in in whether or not God kept a church going or kept a church alive, I'm gonna tell you, I've been to some churches where they were inhospitable. They didn't speak. They didn't care whether you were there and uh, why they continue to meet because of their inhospi inhospitality. If they, easy for me to say. If that were the reason, then then I can promise you and I assure you they wouldn't be meeting as churches because there, there are a lot of churches. Praise God, we're not. Praise God that uh, we always have people that are going and out of their way to meet and to know the people that are coming in. And God has honored that and God has blessed that. Because we are going on a streak that is a streak that I couldn't imagine. We've been meeting together for now over 18 months, almost 20 months as a church. And and we, we've only had one Sunday, and it was a horrible Sunday of rain and thunderstorms. We've only had one Sunday in that whole 20-month time period where we not had a very brand new visitor in our church. And God honors that by our hospi hospitality. But that's not what Sodom is about. That is not what Sodom is about. It said, it says here, he says, and he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. Notice he's saying to him, come into my house, uh, wash your feet. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to accept you into my home. I'm going to take care of you. Please come and stay with me. That is a picture of fellowship. That is a perfect picture of fellowship, biblical picture of fellowship. A lot is active 
in doing what he's doing and saying what he's saying. And he is offering perfect fellowship to these angels. And they said, notice, because they're on a mission. They're on a mission to deal with the situation that's going on in Sodom. It says, and they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. Now, notice you notice as they say that, my natural reaction would be, why do you want to spend the night in the open square? That's not a good idea. But I'm not an angel. I don't have I don't have the power of the angel. Although I do have it inside of me now, I have not operated in that power as they have. And they're not fearful of anything. They have no fear at all. Why? Because they know how to operate in the full power of God. And they're sent on a mission from God to do the will of God. And so they're not going to be deterred from that mission and that will. And they're going to set themselves up right in the middle of town so they can handle the issue immediately. They are aggressive, they're upfront, and they're confrontational in this situation. They said they're going to spend the night in the open square, which means they're going to go and sleep right in the middle of town, right in the middle of everything, and they're going to make themselves known and present right there. That's a boldness that Christians need to begin to understand and begin to see. We need to walk in that boldness. We need to walk in a lack of fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. The enemy's just growling at us right now. I promise you this, there's nothing to be afraid of. And if there was anything to be afraid of, the only thing that would matter is, it, the only thing that would really be to fear is death. And let me tell you something, death has no victory or sting over us. It has no power over us. And in fact, death is a victory because we pass from the, the limited physical life that we live in to the eternal and powerful spiritual life that is to come. And there's nothing to be worried about. And there's and these angels have no fear at all. Why? Because they walk in, in the command, in the will of the Father. And as they walk in the will of the Father, they do his will. But he insisted strongly. Notice Lot insists strongly. Why? Because he knows what's going on there. Now, that's important because Lot knows what that town's like, and he stays there. He knows what that town's and he stays there. I don't know why Lot stays there. I don't know if that if he has a if he has a good reason or no good reason, but he is staying in that town, and he is a important figure in that town. Oftentimes, as believers, we get the feeling that if, we, if we'll work with them, the world, we'll work with us. I can promise you this, you are an enemy of the world. You're not a you're not a friend to the world and the world is not a friend to you. If you have any questions about that, refer to the old disciple John the apostle and his book 1 John. If you have any question about whether or not the world's on your side, why don't you just refer and read short it's a short book. Read the book of 1 John and it will explain to you how we and the world are not on the same side. And so oftentimes we think we can make compromises with the world and that things will work out. Most of the time when we make comp compromises with the world, it doesn't work out. It only seeks to undermine and destroy what, what God's doing in our lives. You, you can't serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other. And let me tell you something. If you're trying to serve God in the world, you'll always love the world more than you love God. And that, that's just a fact. That's just the way the world, that's the way your human heart <clears throat> operates. Your human heart can see can feel, can taste, can touch the world. And it does not see all the time, nor does it hear, or taste, or touch the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is inside of us. And so if you're trying to, if you're trying to be okay with the world and be okay with God, you can't be okay with both of them at the same time. 
I think I beat that dead horse to death. So if you have any questions, First John, I refer you to that. And you can read it in about 30, 45 minutes, and he will explain in detail how you can't have the love of the world and the love of the Father in you at the same time. Can't have it, ain't going to have it, not have it. Made the point? I think so. He says, but he insists strongly so that they turn in and entering his house. So what does he want? He wants them to come to his house. Then he made them a feast. Notice. He's doing the things of fellowship. He is doing the things that are very important. He's doing the things that are very, very important. He made them a feast. He baked them unleavened bread and they ate. Notice that unleavened bread is a picture of, is a picture of the bread of haste. It's a picture of the bread of life, Jesus Christ. It goes down throughout history. It's the bread that was baked when on the night before they were to leave Egypt. It's the, it's, you don't wait on the leaven. You won't bait, wait on the bread to rise. You bake it and you pack it up and you go. Why? Because when you receive the will of God, you bake, you, you take that bread and you don't try to butter it up and make anything. You don't try to make it feel better or taste better or anything like that. You take it as it is and you go with it. And let me tell you, that's important to understand as far as the word of God is concerned. We're to take God's word as it is. We're not to try to add to it or take away from it. We're not to try to, we're not to try to make it palatable in the moment. Don't add anything as far as jam or butter or whatever. Don't add leaven, which is a picture of sin. Don't mix the word of God and sin together. We're to take the word of God as it is and we're to receive it as truth. And we're to walk in it as truth. And boy, that's hard to do. It's hard to do. I'm not telling you it's an easy thing to do. It's a hard and difficult thing to do to walk in that bread of life and walk in that truth and walk in its fullness. It's not easy, but let me tell you, it is of the utmost importance that you learn how to do that. It's of the utmost importance that you develop a passion for the word of God as God presents it to you, as the word is written. And as you gain that passion for God's word, as you gain that desire to hear God's word, as you gain that want to walk in God's word, as you, as that becomes a part of who you are, it drives you, it energizes you. You go from not being able to see, taste, feel the kingdom of God. You go to the kingdom of God energizing. See, the word of God energizes the kingdom of God inside of you and makes you powerful and strong and focused on what God has for you each and every day. And it opens your ears and your eyes to, to the life that surrounds you and to the will of God that's being done around you and the will of God for you each day. So notice he, he makes that unleavened bread for them. He's willing to receive the word. He's willing to receive the word in its fullness. What's going on is the angels are there for a purpose, and their purpose is not going to be their purpose is not going to be sidelined. It's not going to be they're not going to be carried off on some rabbit trail. They're going to deal with the purpose they're there. It says now before they lay down, notice the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, everybody. It's not just some people. It's not just a few people who acted wrongly. It is the men of Sodom, all the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Notice, everyone, it is the whole city of Sodom, and they are involved in something that is God will not tolerate. He does not tolerate that. He's not, going, he's not okay with it. He's not tolerable to it. It says, and they called a lot and said to him, we are the men who came to you tonight. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Meaning, 
We've seen these men. We know that you had two men that came from outside and they are here tonight and we want to see them. Bring them out to us that we may know them. And that word know means in a sexual way. That's what the word, that's what it means. There's not any, that you can't nuance this. I know that you'll hear people say, that's not what this was about. That, I promise you that is the enemy in his old ways of trying to tell you that this doesn't have anything to do with homosexuality. And I'm going to tell you, it does. It has everything to do with it. It's exactly the reason Sodom has the name that it has and been passed down for generations and for millennia past. It, it, it has to do with it. Now, listen to me. That is a sin that is just like any other sin. It is a longing and desiring of the flesh. Not everybody has desires in, in areas like each other. Each one of us has our own unique mixture of our flesh and sin. And some of us desire one thing and others desire the other thing. That's not the issue. That's not the issue today. The issue is not whether or not this is some horrible thing that's different than any other sin. It, that's not the issue. The issue today is that the world would tell you that we need to, we need to make that okay. The word is to, the word went to, we, we used to be, we need to tolerate sin. Now we need to accept it. And let me tell you something. It's not tolerable. It's not tolerable. It's not the best for anybody. It's not the best life. It's not the best walk. It does not bring about fulfillment. Telling someone that they can just act on their own carnal desires, no matter how depraved they are, or is wrong. It's wrong for me. It's wrong for you. Every one of us has some kind of sexual desire that can lead to something that's not good. That's not positive and that destroys life and destroys the kingdom. And that's what's going on here. And, and the answer to it is a life-changing, life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, where you do not feed the flesh, where you do not entertain the world, but you entertain the spirit and you allow God to teach you. You allow God to grow. you. Every one of us has that issue. Every one of us, we all do. And every one of us needs to have the word of God told to us that God has a plan for life, a, a plan for our desires, our physical desires, our sexual desires, and that plan is perfect, and that plan is fulfilling, and that plan gives hope and life. And, and those who are tempted toward doing things that are not according to God's plan, which, by the way, I'm, going, I'm convinced is almost everybody, we're tempted toward things that we should not be tempted toward. Our flesh drags us off to things that we should not be dragged off to. We should not allow it to happen. But just because that's common to man doesn't mean that it's okay. Sin is common to man. Everyone's wicked. No one's righteous. No, not one. Each is turned to his own wicked way. We're not okay by ourselves and in ourselves. And so just because it's common to man that we're wicked doesn't mean that's the final, that's the final plan for God is just to remain in our wickedness remain in our sin and not walk in his very best. That is just not God's plan. And for anybody to try to sell to other people that it's okay, it's not. It's, it's, it is not okay. And I'm not going to say it's okay to somebody. And I've dealt with this a lot with church members, this main, this issue right here. And I realize that it's a struggle for some people. And I realize that the desires of the flesh is a struggle for all people. And I'm not going to tell you that it's okay. I'm going to tell you that God's grace is sufficient for you. 
And I'm going to tell you that you can find peace and hope and fulfillment and joy in God's plan for you. And you, you just shouldn't abandon your own hearing of God and go off and just indulge yourself in your flesh. I wouldn't tell that to anybody under any circumstances anywhere. I wouldn't tell it if they were dealing with a drug issue. I wouldn't tell them if they were dealing with an alcohol issue. I wouldn't tell them if they were dealing with a uh, lust issue. I wouldn't tell them if they were dealing with a, a, uh, a pride issue. I wouldn't tell them if they were dealing with a, a lying issue. I wouldn't tell them if they were dealing with a theft issue. I wouldn't tell them if they were dealing with, I, I wouldn't tell you to indulge your flesh. You shouldn't indulge your flesh. And it's not going to ever lead to a fulfilling life. It's going, that hole in your heart is never going to be fulfilled by, by indulging your flesh, indulging your hate, indulging your pain, indulging the struggles of life. It's just never, ever going to do that. And the word of God's clear about that. And these two angels are there and the people of Sodom have indulged themselves so much that they don't even have any question about it. They're going to indulge themselves again. And let me tell you something, those angels are there to end that problem. And they're going to. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. I know it's a difficult chapter. It is a difficult chapter because you have to deal with an issue that the world has told us today is not only tolerable, but it's acceptable. But the amount of depravity that we live in this country in that regard has just begun. But we are fast and on our way to want being told to accept things that would that that are illegal today that day was coming that day that day is coming and it's coming quickly and the reason it is because uh, the world wants to tell us to accept indulgence in the flesh that the bible says quite clearly is wrong and as a pastor as a teacher of god's word i cannot stand with that i will not stand with it and i'm not telling you that i don't have desires in my flesh that are not sinful i do but I will tell myself and I'll tell you because I love me and I love you that it is not God's best for you to indulge your flesh in any way that he has said not to. It will not lead to his best and it will not lead to your fulfillment. You will only feel emptier and emptier inside, more and more empty as you indulge your flesh. And I know that from experience and I know that because I've seen it and I pray that God will give you grace to seek after him and have his best and to let the world be the world. Love those in the world, but do not love the world. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus name. Mm -hmm.